Today we are continuing our journey through the um, book of Ephesians. And as you may remember, it's one of the um, letters, one of the letters which are known as the prison epistles, uh, written during St. Paul's two periods of imprisonment. And at the time when he wrote this letter, Paul was in prison in Rome, awaiting trial by Nero. So let's have a look this morning together at chapter 3. So earlier in the week, one of my lovely student teachers, whom I'm going to call Mike, um, asked me if I was doing anything nice this weekend. Yes, I said, I'm being licensed as a lay minister in the cathedral on Saturday, and then I'm preaching on Sunday. Oh, he said, what are you talking about? So the question took me rather by surprise, and I'm ashamed to say that I dodged it by answering uh, Ephesians 3, which meant absolutely nothing whatsoever to Mike. But this morning, I'm going to try to give a better answer. So I've divided chapter 3 into three sections. A great mystery revealed, the privilege of prayer, and Christ in us. Would you like to hear a secret? Well, most of us would. We love secrets. And Paul tells his readers in Ephesus that God has revealed to him, as an apostle, the greatest secret of all time. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together of one body and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now the Jews knew from the Old Testament that a Messiah would come. There are an amazing 324 prophecies about Jesus which were fulfilled in the Gospels. But the Jews had not grasped that God was going to play the Gentile card. Bring a bunch of unclean pagans and make them fellow heirs with his own special chosen people. And you know, the words in chapter 2, verse 19, would have hit them like a thunderbolt. Consequently, Paul writes... You are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You have to remember, friends, that for the Jews at the time, this was deeply shocking. It was so offensive that Paul's persistent declaration of this truth is the reason why he was sitting in Rome awaiting trial. Let's go back to Acts 19 verse 27 which says this when the seven days were nearly over some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting men of Israel help us 
This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our temple and our law and this place. And beside, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. And one of the problems for the early church was that the emergence of Judaizers insisting that to be a true Christian, the Gentiles had to be circumcised and had to adhere to Jewish laws and rituals. You know, it's unlikely that the task of guarding Paul in Rome, a balding elderly Jew, would have been given to an elite Roman soldier. More likely, if you'll forgive a little bit of hypothesizing based on the history of the period, it would have been someone like Asterix the Gaul, a former warrior from the colonies. He's been Romanized. He's been taught how to have a bath. He's had a haircut. Those dreadlocks have had to go. And he's been given a token entitling him to a piece of land. He doesn't know that a hundred other asterisks have also been given exactly the same token. But he sort of knows he'll always be a second-class Roman. Well, Paul tells his Gentile hearers in Ephesus that through Christ, they are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. The mystery revealed. The second great truth for the Ephesians and for us is that through the death of Christ, we all have direct access to God. Verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Matthew's Gospel records a seismic event which took place as Jesus died. Chapter 27, verse 50. But Jesus cried out in a loud voice and died. Then the temple in the curtain was torn in two places from the top to the bottom. The curtain was the veil which hung before the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. No one could enter the Holy of Holies except the priest who went in there once a year to offer sacrifices for atonement for the people's sins. The curtain was 60 feet long, 30 feet high and 4 inches thick. So what did the torn curtain mean? Well, for Jews, it meant no more barrier between them and the Holy of Holies. No more priests to go between them and God. No more animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. And for us? For us, it means that we are welcome to enter into God's presence. Any day. Any time. Through Christ, God has removed the barrier which separates us from him. He has removed the curtain. And thirdly, let's turn to Paul's prayer for the Gentiles, which we heard in our reading this morning, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friends, our God is not a distant God. He is a God who longs to dwell in us and share our lives. And this is a theme throughout the entire biblical narrative. In Ezekiel 37, God promises to bring the people back from exile. And speaking through the prophet, God says this, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Jesus echoes this in John 15. Abide in me, as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. And although at the end of the Bible, you know, he issues a very stern rebuke to the lukewarm church in Laodicea, he offers this invitation. Lo, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Personal salvation is not an occasional rendezvous with the deity. It is an actual dwelling with God. And all of the comfort and the security and the affection that the human heart craves is found when we turn to him and invite him into our lives. When we, like the prodigal son, come home. Henry Nguyen, the Dutch theologian, was deeply impacted by Rembrandt's painting of the return of the prodigal son. And he subsequently wrote a book with the same title. It's a searingly honest account of the impact of the painting on his spiritual journey, a journey which was at times very painful and very difficult. And Nguyen writes of his yearning for this safety, for a home. He says this about the picture. It had brought me into touch with something within me that lies far beyond the ups and downs of a busy life. Something that represents the ongoing yearning of the human spirit, the yearning for a final return an unambiguous sense of safety, a lasting home. So three great truths in this passage. To return to Mike's questions, it's about the greatest revelation of all time. It's about the truth that through Christ we can come to God directly. It's about the truth that Christ wants to dwell in each one of us. Three great truths and three questions which we should ask ourselves. The great secret has been revealed. 
Are we keeping it to ourselves? Or are we seeking opportunities to share it? Romans 10 verse 14 says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Well, we're not all called to be preachers, are we? But we're called as a church and as individuals to share the great hope we have in a fractured and suffering world. We're not called to a private faith. The second truth, we have access to the Father through Christ, through prayer, at any time. Do we sometimes forget this? Do we sometimes take it for granted? We have a God who wants to dwell in us. Do we let him? What else do we sometimes allow to dwell in us that pushes him out? Fears? Doubts, busyness, personal idols. A humble Jew kneels in prison and prays earnestly for the Gentiles in Ephesus. And his prayer at the end of this chapter is a prayer for all of us today. And with it, I will finish this talk. I pray that you, being rooted, and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.